Hello and welcome to the Wild Enrichment Podcast. My name is Kyle Banton-Jones and I'll be your host. The Wild Enrichment Podcast is a show about animal welfare, training, enrichment, and everything in between. Each episode, we will be exploring concepts surrounding behavioral husbandry and the ever-advancing field of animal welfare, from interviews with real animal care professionals to educational episodes about new concepts in animal care. This is the Wild Enrichment Podcast. Enjoy. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wild Enrichment Podcast. Uh, Today, I'm joined by Sarah Van Herpt, and she is the Senior Bear Team Manager at uh, Animals Asia. We're we're very excited to to have her to talk about some really uh, great work that Animal Asia is doing and that uh, Sarah is doing herself. Uh, So, Sarah, thank you uh, so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Uh, so uh, for people that don't know, uh, do you want to give a sort of idea of what uh, Animals Asia is and, and sort of what the company, you know, stands for and, you know, what they do? Yeah, of course. Um, so we were founded in 1998 by Jill Robinson. And basically her founding goal was to end bear bile farming across China and then into Vietnam as well. And um, so we have three main programs. So obviously the one most people know about is ending bear bar farming. Um, we also work with the cat and dog trade and so trying to end the cat and dog meat trade and then also on improving captive animal welfare across Asia. So pretty diverse. Um, I work at the Vietnam Bear Rescue Center. So we have three sanctuaries, um, the China Bear Rescue Center in Chengdu, which was our first sanctuary, um, the Vietnam Bear Rescue Center in Tam Dao, which was our second, and then the Bakma Bear Rescue Center in Vietnam, which has just rescued its first bears last week, the week before, um, very recently. So very, very exciting. exciting. Yeah. Um, and so we're actually one of we are the government partner in ending bear bile farming in vietnam so we are we're heading towards very quickly achieving one of our founding goals um we signed a memorandum of understanding with the vietnamese government in 2017 um basically we agreed to build back my bear rescue center and they agreed to send us the bears so um Hopefully, we'll see the end of bear bile farming in Vietnam in the next few years. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. What an uh, amazing achievement so far. Uh, do you want to uh, give people like what is bale, uh, bear bile farming and 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 you yeah. know what what does that look like? So, um, bear bile is used in traditional medicine across Asia. So, um, Vietnam, China, uh, Laos, Cambodia, Korea, Japan, Taiwan, um, and Basically, um, the bile contains ursodeoxycholic acid, UDCA. Basically, it's a chemical in the bear bile that helps to treat liver problems. And it actually does work, which is why it's kind of Mm. persisted. However, um, the bears are kept in such terrible conditions, you know, cramped cages, poor nutrition, a lot of cruelty and stress. And... um, Actually, it's 
it ends up being pretty bad for the humans. There's often a lot of um, disease to the bile that they take and it can actually mm. make people sick. So um, we work a lot as well with the traditional medicine community in Vietnam um, and they've agreed and have stopped um, prescribing their bile. Um, and so we've produced um, different books on traditional herbal alternatives. And then also there's a... Um, very easily available synthetic alternative to bear bar. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, so like, it sounds like making great progress and ending this, how, how common is it still? Like, do you guys have an idea of like how many farms there are and like how many bears are being used for this in, in, in some of the, these parts of the world? Yeah, it's, um, definitely winding down the most I would say in Vietnam we've only got about 300 bears left on farms now um I think China is still in the in the thousands um maybe around 10,000 um and it's uh we work with Project Moon Bear as well they're in Korea and they're working mm. on the same thing ending bear bar farming so we've been advising them on um their project as well so uh it's starting to slow down for sure Oh, that's great news. Yeah. So, so, uh, I'd love to hear how you sort of got involved in this uh, industry, like what your, what your sort of background is and how, uh, you know, a senior bear team manager sounds like, uh, you know, a dream job to a lot of people. Like, do you want to give us a sort of idea of what that looks like and, and how, how you yourself sort of got there? Yeah. Um, so I'm from New Zealand originally and, um, I guess my background, I did actually a master's in conservation biology, um, and then I got into zookeeping. So I worked at Wellington Zoo for about seven and a half years. Uh, during that time at Wellington Zoo, I also studied, I uh, did a certificate in vet nursing, and um, I worked in their wildlife vet hospital for a couple of years. And then I sort of thought to myself, you know, I needed a change and I didn't have a partner or a house or kids. So I decided I'd have an adventure. Mm. <laughs> and I was really lucky in Animals Asia were advertising for a bear team manager and I was a successful candidate and I just didn't look back. Um, so I, yeah, I started in Vietnam about six and a half years ago now. And I, it's changed so much since I started. It's, mm. um, We've really grown a lot um, and we've grown and developed our team a lot. Um, it's really been really exciting. So um, a senior bear team manager is kind of a really hard title to explain. But basically my day-to-day -day thing is I oversee just the behavioral husbandry team at the sanctuary. So um, we've got about 50-odd uh, bear carers that do the direct day-to-day -day husbandry of the bears. Um, we've got a horticulture team or um, and a nutrition team. And then we've got supervisors and bear team managers. And so mm. they look at more of the bigger picture things. So not just, um, you know, cleaning and doing enrichment, but how's the group dynamic going? Are the bears showing any signs of hunger? Um, which bears need to be moved to which areas, which bears need integrations, which bears are showing behavioral signs that mean we might want to do some sort of intervention. Um, so, yeah, I basically oversee all of that. So um, my day might 
it looks different every day. So sometimes I'm out at the houses a lot and I'm doing um, bear training, cooperative care, or I'm helping way, or um, I'm training new team members, or I'm just doing, you know, boring office stuff, which is, you know, always very important <laughs> as well. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, that's that's super um, one of my big projects. Oh, sorry. No, no. <laughs> one of my big projects at the moment is helping to oversee um, and have been helping to train the staff for the new sanctuary as well. So that's mm. um, oversight of that sanctuary is a huge part of our job at the moment. Yeah, that's amazing. It's uh, it's really uh, great to hear, like coming from you know your, your zookeeping background, uh, because it's one of those industries that like you know people switch careers all the time in a lot of industries. And, and I feel like from what I've seen, like there are people that want to, uh, you know, change their career paths that are in zoos currently. And, and it's one of those things where like you kind of look around and you're like, there's not a lot of transferable skills seemingly. So it's really cool to see somebody that has successfully like made the transition. You're still sort of within the same sphere, but you're, you know, transitioned mm -hmm. into something completely different. So that's, do you have any sort of like advice for people that are looking to do that or like where should it's, it's just, yeah, I think um, for me, what I, I guess from what I applied for and what my job was initially to where it is now is um, quite different. So I think, um, for leaving the zoo, I think one of the things that really motivates me and I'm really passionate about in in this role is actually getting to really rehabilitate and mm. really deep dive into the behavior of the animals. And like, we're so focused on choice and control and consent for the bears um, as much as we can. So I think mm. it's it's quite different to what I found in the zoo industry mm -hmm. where there's just a lot more balancing of different, um, different kind of yeah. needs, I guess, requirements yeah, and things. Absolutely. So I, I guess my recommendation is to try and build your skills in rescue and rehabilitation and try and move into that sort of industry because, um, you know, there's a lot of need for it across mm. the world with so many different species. Um, and it's just such a rewarding sort of, segue <laughs> yeah no absolutely that's yeah that's super interesting i could see uh <clears throat> there's sort of being different um different like highlights and and different like you know aspects of the job that are that are uh you know a little bit more gratifying there and compared to, to compared to being in a zoo and and sort of vice versa but uh I, i'd love to talk about you know the the actual bears and you know uh how because th it sounds like you know they're coming from very very traumatic uh backgrounds like how what does the process of um you know actually getting a bear and beginning to rehabilitate it look like you you know you talked about cooperative care and a lot of those things but i'd imagine you know when you get some of these animals like they don't want they don't want to even look at a person so like how what does what does that look like yeah, 100%. So um, in terms of rescuing bears, I think um, one of the things people sometimes don't realize is that we don't have a say in it. Um, so there's multiple rescue centers across Vietnam, and basically the government authorities, the Forestry Protection Department, decide where they want the bears to go. So um, if, if they want us to take a bear, we take the bear. Mm. If they want to send it somewhere else, they 
send it somewhere else. Um, and so basically when we get a bear, we might know something about their background or we might just know nothing. And so we generally don't really know how old they are. We definitely don't know their background. Um, we sometimes know how long they've been on the farms. Usually it's quite a long time. We never know exactly, um, but we can tell a lot from the condition of the bear. Um, sometimes we'll get bears that the farmer is telling us are 20 years old who are very clearly not 20 years mm. old and have probably been poached and brought onto that farm as a cub, but um, that's obviously illegal, so they're not going to tell us that. So um, it really, it's it's kind of a mystery, and then you've got to wait until the bear shows up before you can even try and start figuring things out. Um, but so they come into our quarantine area first, so... Uh, quarantine is 30 to 45 days depending on how long they've been on the farm and during that time we actually still keep them in cages um, so they're large cages the bears can stand up move around really easily mm. uh, but it's it's a huge transition for them mm. and people always ask you know why aren't they in dens why aren't they in enclosures and actually those first 30 days a huge focus of ours is just getting them to learn and trust again mm -hmm. so we keep them in the we keep them in the quarantine cages as part of our biosecurity protocol obviously we don't want to pass anything on to our resident bears but also it allows us to start taking a look at their physical and psychological health so a lot of them as you say they don't trust people they don't want anything to do with people like mm -hmm. we're the ones who've been doing terrible things to them for so many years and so one of the things we have to do is build rapport again mm -hmm. and so we just do that by um sitting with them you know bringing lots of food treats um enrichment that sort of thing um we're also checking them out for any medical problems so they've they've all been in cages for so long that we've got a lot of you know like muscle atrophy um most of them have really bad dental issues um there's just all sorts of things that they have that we need to start getting a handle on first and even just medicating them some of them don't want to be close enough to take medication that can help them but um so we have to if we would put them in a den we wouldn't be able to get that into them at all but having them in a smaller space sort of helps that and during that time we really slowly start to introduce them to different stages so we have an enrichment calendar that moves through four stages um so it increase it increases in complexity but also what materials are used so mm -hmm. in stage one when they arrive we only use natural materials so like like brows and things like that and for different foods and things and then they move to stage two which we start to introduce some unnatural materials maybe like plastic pipes mm. and then we start to increase difficulty like of puzzle feeders and things um we also introduce them to uh, we have transport and weigh cages so we ask our bears to come into weigh cages that attach to either their den or their um, quarantine cage for weighing or for transport to hospital for health checks so we start working with them to see if they'll come into that and, and all that sort of stuff and then once they're cleared if they've had any surgery that they need um, they go to the dens first and then that's a huge step for them mm -hmm. they haven't often been on concrete or solid floor for so many years so 
that's the next step is going into the den and getting comfortable sort of moving across different dens and using baskets and building up a bit more muscle being able to move around a bit more and um then the next step is either integration or first time enclosure access depending on um what where they're going basically it's depends on a whole lot of factors but mm -hmm. which house they go to which bears they're going to meet and that sort of thing right and, and what does sort of like d does what success look like like vary a lot between individuals or like just depending on time like are you able to get all the bears to a, like a certain a certain level like what does what does like a rehabilitated bear like look like to you to you guys yeah it's so individual there's some bears that come in and they cope really well straight away and they go straight out into the enclosure when it's time and mm. they're great those bears are pretty rare though um more commonly they have some sort of problem whether it's intense stereotypic behavior or just fear um trying to get them onto a normal diet is really difficult sometimes they don't want to eat solid food because they're so used to just eating slop when they get it mm. like pig slop pig feed congee mm. um so for example we have one sun bear who's um, her name's cubby leo and it took us from rescue a year to get her confident to step out on grass mm. but now so she was rescued 2016 so seven years later she's super happy she loves being outside she's got friends she's playing um she's a sun bear she's gorgeous mm. um and then if anyone listening follows animal seizure you might have heard the story of dawn um dawn mm. showed learn helplessness um it was honestly it was one of the most heartbreaking things i've experienced so far watching her just completely shut down and curl up in a corner um and we actually used behavioral medication with her so mm. we used fluoxetine we don't usually use that in quarantine um, because more often than not, it's really just a case of, of spending time getting used to things. And they do adjust, you know, within a few months. But her case was just so bad that we did. And actually, it's it's along with the work we did with her, it's been incredible. And I was watching her this morning and she was just out cruising around on the grass super confident just lying down relaxing i wouldn't have believed it when she, from when she mm. arrived wow but um yeah each i guess each bear gets kind of a personal plan if mm. you will so depending on what they need most bears just follow the general kind of steps through and get better as they go but some bears we do a lot more intensive work with mm-hmm is there like specific uh, sort of like assessment tools that you use for for bears to decide like when they're ready for for each step or like what plan they're supposed to be going on or like is there specific tools that you use yeah it uh sort of i guess we we kind of we don't have like anything written down but mm. um so for example if before they go out into the enclosure they need to be confident to move through the different dens mm. And that's because if they go outside, we need them to know how to come back inside and feel inside as a safe space. So that one's kind of an easy one. Um, with 
the bears in quarantine the majority of them have to willingly walk into a transport cage before we'll consider moving them to the house and the, the only time we wouldn't do that is if we know that they're really really bad and that being in the den could help them mm. um in which case we usually will perform their initial health check and then move them to a house so um, they need to be hand feeding um so they need to be willing to approach people before we move them to a den um and then once especially in quarantine you know we've got to give them time mm. right 30 days is not very long to recover from 20 plus years of trauma mm -hmm. um but if during that quarantine period they're doing anything like showing signs of learned helplessness or um being stereotypic to the point of injuring themselves or being extremely aggressive those are the bears that we work more intensely with during quarantine right and and what does what does like working with them more intensely look like like do you have specific sort of cooperative care that you're doing with with each i'd love to hear about some of the examples of the cooperative care but what does what does a sort of like one of these intensive bears uh what what does that sort of look like for them yeah so first it's just getting them to the point of hand feeding mm. is usually a difficulty so um we'll just sort of use a long spoon to spoon feed them um work our way up to hand feeding and then um we use our yeah cooperative care program we might start by doing target training with them um and sort of trying to build their confidence with the people and just in the environment by using the target and then we usually start a decent program with our way cage so um that goes quite slowly we might just make the noise of wheeling the way cage mm. and be reinforcing them and then when they're okay with that then we might attach the way cage be reinforcing them and then like just really slow steps and then we might use the target to try and target them part way into the way cage and and so on until they're really confident sort of coming into that cage um yeah it's it's a bit hard in the smaller cages um we have actually done some open mouth behavior training with some of our mm. more nervous recent bears because they seem to go through some of the things really quickly um so we did uh, open mouth as well um when they were more comfortable with that sort of personal training but not comfortable yet with the um wire cage and the transport cages they all seem to have different triggers mm. so um sometimes they're triggered by some sort of metallic noise um which we think comes from you know on the farm them getting ready to extract the bio uh sometimes they're just triggered by really random things we had um, one bear recently midnight she's the sweetest old deer and she fine she seemed so bomb proof she was walking into way cages transport cages eating everything really well using all the enrichment she seemed so good had a dog outside barking and mm. she lost it she was really unhappy really stereotypic while that dog was barking so it's mm. um one of the important things is really finding out what's going to trigger them and it can just be something so random sometimes
Right. Yeah. And, and, and maybe to give people like a better idea, what does the actual environment of a lot of these bio farms like look like for these bears? Like how are they getting fed? Like what do their, uh, cages look like? Like what, what, do, how did they extract the bile from these, from these bears? Yeah, it's, um, pretty depressing. Mm. Uh, they're usually small cages. Um, the ones in Vietnam, the ones I can speak to, I know that they're mm. very different in China. Um, but in Vietnam, they generally can stand up, but they're metal and they are usually um, quite open-bottomed, like just sort of mesh. Mm. Um, some of them are broken and they'll have like missing parts of the floor, um, sharp bits of metal that sort of thing mm. they're usually somewhere really dark out the back of a house and uh really enclosed so no airflow no rain no sun mm. um, usually quite stifling and always very stinky um hygiene's pretty poor um they're always clean when we show up, though, of course. Mm. But you can tell from the corrosion of the cages that um, some of that rusting is from, like, urine and feces. Mm -hmm. um, they do not get regular access to food and water. So um, starving them helps to produce bile. So they definitely don't get fed every day. I think they'd be lucky to get fed once a week. Mm. Uh, when they're fed, it's usually something like scraps or um pig feed or congee or uh we had one bear recently marmalade they used to feed her condensed milk and bananas i think it was oh yeah it's obviously not super nutritious yeah um and then the bile extraction itself is obviously really horrific so it's not a vet doing it it's just you know some random person um what they usually do is rope the bears down so they manage to get the rope around the bear and then force them basically tie them until they're close enough that they can inject them with usually something like ketamine and then they just um, use an ultrasound and a needle kind of guided probe to get the bile um it's super unhygienic they reuse needles mm. um the way that they tell that they've got into the gallbladder is to lick the tip of the needle once they've put it into the beer to see if they can taste the bile so yeah, yeah it's um yeah one of the things also that we have to do when the bears are in quarantine is just get them used to it being light again yeah. so um yeah. just leaving the lights on during the day is such a small thing but it's such a big thing for them Mm -hmm. And is it is it always like sun bears and uh, that are used for this farming? And is it usually sun bears that you are re rehabilitating? Oh, this is a good point. I didn't say this yet. Um, we actually uh, mainly work with Asiatic black bears or moon bears. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so they're the main ones who are farmed for the bio. Um, sun bears are kept in Vietnam, but more so for pets. Um, because you know they're little and cute, and mm. um, they we have a couple of them that we we know have been used for bile, but it's much much more common with the with the moon bears. Um, so at our initial Vietnam sanctuary in Tam Dao, we've got two hundred bears. So um, oh, wow. 
187 moon bears and 13 stars. And Bakma has got two moon bears, their very first ones. Oh wow! Yeah, that's that's uh, yeah, that's that's great. So these these uh, sanctuaries are quite large. Then, like, ha you have this new one in in yeah. Vietnam. Like, uh, can you maybe speak to some of the sort of unique considerations and and features that these sanctuaries have compared to maybe um, what people would be used to as far as like a bear um, enclosure, like habitat at, at a zoo or something? Yeah, so our sanctuaries, they both are pretty much the same. Um, it seems to work really well. You know, um, we've got groups up to 20 bears mm. at the moment. All together and, we have and had, the same. Yeah. Wow. Very yep. cool. We have had groups of up to 23. Mm. So one of the really important uh designs or design aspects of our dens and our enclosures is basically excess right mm -hmm. so the only reason we can hold the group sizes that we do is because we provide plentiful resources mm -hmm. right it's like you know it's just been fat bear week finished and yeah. <laughs> one of the reasons that those guys all congregate is because of all the salmon yeah and so it's the same for our bears we um provide you know, more than enough food, enrichment, um, baskets, um, structures in the enclosure and that sort of thing. Um, and we're constantly observing them. But um, so in our bear house, a general setup at our Tamdao Sanctuary is um, six dens with four baskets in each den. So that's 24 different bed options, mm. depending on the, and that's just in the dens. Depending on the age of the bears, we also might add in hanging hammocks or platforms higher up okay. as extras. And then in the enclosure, there's just lots of platforms in different places to sleep on and under and inside. Um, and Bakmar is the same, but because they need to potentially hold 300 bears, it's just a bit bigger. So um, instead of six dens, they have, I think, eight on one side and nine on the other. And we have six and seven. Um, yeah, it's one of the things, like, obviously, it's holding bears in large groups comes with benefits and disadvantages. Mm -hmm. And so um, the reason that we do it and why it is so much different from a zoo and why it can be so complicated sometimes um, is because if we don't do it like this, we can't get the bears off the biofarms. Mm -hmm. And yeah. we've really found that a lot of these bears, you know, when the need to compete isn't there, they really value that social companionship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like in the wintertime, we have females pair up and they're just inseparable mm -hmm. like they'll just follow each other everywhere both squishing in the same basket um and then yeah the bears they're so playful and they just love to wrestle mm. um yeah so while it, it seems really strange to people when you say oh yeah this group of 20 bears and people are like whoa yeah, you know yeah. it's like you get two or three in a zoo and that's mm -hmm. that's enough yeah <laughs> um yeah, it's something it's hard work sometimes mm -hmm. and and our moon bears and and sun bears like are they typically solitary in the wild and like opportunistically social 
Yes. Yeah. 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 So they'll only congregate again, same if there's, you know, an area of plentiful mm -hmm. resource. So, uh, or they're in family groups, mum and cubs and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's interesting to, you know, like to see the sort of benefits of, uh, like how much they get from being social when that's not usually like something, even when they're congregating for like a resource or something like I've worked a lot with like polar bears and grizzly bears and they're, you know, the same sort of social structures are, and, and I feel like in the wild, uh, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time looking at them in the wild, but they're not, they're not really exhibiting the same sort of social behaviors that we see, uh, you know, on the daily basis when we're housing groups of, of usually a few, uh, together. So it's really interesting to see those, that sort of like repertoire of behaviors that just isn't really natural, but it's very like positive for the, for the animals. It's yeah, it's, and, and in groups that large, it must be, uh, completely do you notice any sort of like social structures or anything that like is completely different from the wild? Like, do they, do they sort of have like a, like a pecking order or anything like that? Yeah, no. Uh, I wouldn't say hierarchy or pecking order. There mm. are some bears who are, I guess, maybe more dominant, right. like more, you know, they want the resource. Right. More personality um, driven. Yeah, and you know, there's some, especially females that are well known for being a bit crankier, yeah, <laughs> um, a bit sassy. Um, one of the really cool things that we see though is a lot of teaching and learning happening. Oh, interesting. So, especially when we put new bears into already established groups, um we call it integration. So when we do integrations, um, especially with bears who might be their first time they've met other bears and they're coming into a well-established group, we have what we call a friendly list. Mm. <laughs> so at the top of the friendly list are the bears who are, you know, pretty easygoing. And if they've had positive interactions with the new bear or um, they're just generally known to be, you know, playful and um, things. And, we have a few bears in our sanctuary um, that are known as starter bears because they um, are exceptional teachers mm. and they're exceptionally patient. Um, one of them is PJ and it's really interesting with him. He was actually captured as a cub. He was caught in a snare and he has this really bad mm. scar around one of his arms. And when he arrived as a cub, he was terrified. He would never eat when there was people around. He'd only eat when everyone was gone over lunch or overnight. It took them so long to sort of build a rapport and help him. And one of the things that helped him the most was um, interacting with some other cubs who we luckily got around the same time. And now from this terrified, terrified bear, he's one of our starter bears because mm. when he meets a new bear, he'll approach them and he, and he shows all the right sort of behaviors. He will be very slow, um, he'll cluck, is a like reassurance kind of thing. Um, he's really good at reading behavior. So if they sort of start indicating to him that 
they're a bit nervous or anything, he'll back off. But he also knows when to sort of push forward a little bit and try and get them to play. Um, and he's a real peacemaker. He will sort of step in um, and distract other bears away if the new bear needs a bit of time mm. just to, you know, resort themselves. Um, so some bears are really good at reading that behavior and working with the new bear to help them integrate into the group. Um, whereas some bears, they'll just get upset. If they get growled at or grumbled at by a new bear that they've tried to approach and maybe play with, they're like, oh gosh, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how dare you? Yeah. And they get really upset and they'll hold a grudge. So um, that's why we have these friendly lists and we, um, we really, well, I really appreciate watching these bears and watching them interact and watching them learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. That's a, that's a, as soon as I heard that you had, uh, you know, 20 some odd bears in, in these groups, I, I wrote down like intros with a seven question marks because that is <laughs> especially like around, you know, dangerous animals, theoretically, like that you can't, you know, when you're, when you're putting a group of you know, an animal that you could, that's smaller, that's not dangerous, that you can go in with it. It's not as stressful, but when it's like, you know, you can't be walking in with 20 bears and, and being, and separating them if needed. So it is a very, it can be a very stressful situation that, uh, what happens if a bear, do you have any bears that like, don't want to be with other bears? Uh, like, like, cause that's something that, that has happened, uh, like in my career with, with some of the bears that I've worked with, like, tried an intro and they're just like no I, I want to be by myself kind of thing like so and that's a very difficult scenario from like a management point of view uh depending on your your setup mm -hmm. so so do you does that happen yeah um not so much during an integration because there's so much pre-planning that happens mm. um so once we sort of get the integration stage in general I can't think of more than a handful of times that we've decided not to keep going with that integration mm. um because we spend so much time beforehand um planning and watching and observing mm. and um you know we do a big bump in their food so that they're all satiated there's no competition we have some bears who do tend to be more solitary in groups um, they don't get into fights, they don't argue, but they also don't play and they just, mm. you know, they do their own thing in the enclosure, come in kind of like coexisting. Right. Right. Um, but, you know, we have had some, especially the sun bears, I find actually, um, we've had a couple, well, one sun bear. Um, he is a bit socially unsure maybe mm. he doesn't quite read the behaviors properly and so he had a couple of issues with a couple of bears he met um that lasted like you know six months or so that we were sort of tossing up you know it wasn't aggression like it wasn't fighting or anything but there was just a lot of growling and so we'd sort of toss up do we leave him do we take him out and then as soon as we make a plan and you know we do a study or we do an intervention as soon as we plan on doing anything like that he'd just get over it, it mm. i just don't know just sometimes it takes time for them um but we have had some bears um 
we've had next to each other and they've just been so aggressive through the barriers that we've decided not yeah. even to go ahead with integrations and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but more often than not, it, it's it's very rare that we have to intervene in an integration. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's days. and that's one of those things that's really tough about like those barriers and like uh, is is sometimes mm-hmm. that makes it worse. Like they're super aggressive mm-hmm. through the barriers, and then you open it and they're like, "Oh hi," you know. It's like uh, I've always yeah. compared it to like 100%. keyboard warriors on uh, social media. Like they'd never say this to your face, but once <laughs> they're on Instagram, it's like they'll type you nasty things. But like as soon as you're face to face, they're like, "Oh hi," you know. So. It's it's yeah. so hard with some 100%. of those animals that aren't naturally social because you just there's just less social cues I I find and less things that you can do beforehand and it's yeah it's that's so interesting it sounds like you guys have it uh, sort of down to a science there. Yeah, I've done many 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 bear integrations now. So anyone out there, if you ever want some tips or tricks that I've learned, just feel free to email me. <laughs> yeah, no, well, they absolutely will. Cause it's, it's, uh, uh, you're sort of, uh, doing it on a scale that, you know, people at, at zoos, like, you know, bears live a long time. So if you have a couple bears, like mm-hmm. that's, uh, could be a span of somebody's career that they're doing maybe one introduction. So that's, uh, uh yeah. I'm sure you'll get some emails from that, but, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> very, very interesting. So, so uh, you know, th- this is fantastic work and you guys are, are, are ex- continuously expanding, uh, saving more bears, rehabilitating them. How can people sort of get involved that will ha- like sort of have an impact with, uh, you know, Animals Asia or, or another um, organization or, or what should people sort of look for if they want to make a make a difference? Well, for us, if you want to help us, um, the two main things you can do are to donate. So you can go to our website, animalsasia.org, and you can find the donation page there. There's all sorts of different things you can do. You can sponsor a bear. You can sponsor some jam and different toys and things. Mm. And that's always, of course, hugely appreciated. And the other thing is just to share our work, you know, follow on social media, share about what we're doing the more people we can reach and, and engage in our mission the more bears we can help and save um one thing that i'm really proud of with our organization and i think that people should look for when they're supporting sanctuaries in particular is the um gfas accreditation so the global federation of animal sanctuaries mm. um it's quite a rigorous accreditation pro- process so i guess it's kind of the equivalent to the um czar one mm-hmm. accreditation process that they have i guess in america um so if you if you're wanting to support sanctuaries and organizations look out for that um gfas accreditation as well yeah amazing um yeah, and I'll link, uh, you know, the social medias related to Animals Asia and uh, the website and uh, everything that people can go check it out to uh, see how they can sort of get involved. It's, yeah, absolutely fascinating, and it's really important work that you guys are doing. So, uh, you know, thank you for, for doing what you, you, you do every day, and thank you for uh, coming on the podcast. I, I very much appreciate it. Yeah, of course. You're welcome. It's been great to talk, and I love sharing about our work. It's um, what actually one of the things I miss from zookeeping is mm. the interaction with guests. Um, because we're a sanctuary, we're not open mm-hmm. every day. We have sort of, you know, public holiday or not public holiday. Um, weekend tours that people can book mm. on, and that's part mm-hmm. of being a GFAS accredited sanctuary. Um, 
and so I really miss getting to talk to people about the bears or about the animals, about the amazing work that the team's doing. So yeah, I really appreciate the chance to to do that today. Thank you. Yeah, no, happy to facilitate it. I, I totally understand. It's it's very uh, uh, sort of invigorating and uh, it really helps you take a step back and, and uh, realize like what you're doing is, is you know, very, very like, it's really amazing and, and, you know, has an impact. So it's, yeah, it's great to be able to, to talk to people about it. So, uh, you know, thanks again for, for, for doing so. And, uh, you know, Sarah, it's been great, Sarah. So, uh, uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And to everyone listening, uh, until next time. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed that episode of the Wild Enrichment Podcast. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us at Wild Enrichment on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. If you want to learn more about Wild Enrichment and see some of our great resources, check out www.wildenrichment.com. Also, if you wish to support Wild Enrichment, check out our Patreon. Again, thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Wild Enrichment is independently owned and claims no affiliation to any zoo, aquarium, or other animal care institutions. All of the information and opinions communicated through this podcast, wildenrichment.com, and affiliated social media accounts are based on my own opinions and experiences and are not in any way reflective of the opinions of my employers past or present. Thank you.